That's the uh, uh, prevailing question of the morning is what was Jesus doing before Christmas? And that sounds kind of crazy because some people believe that Jesus started at Christmas at the very first Christmas. But as has been shared astutely this morning, Jesus has a history that goes far beyond. And I love what Linda read at the end of her uh, passage there at the end of the reading when she talked about Jesus being in relationship with the father and at the same time being one with him. So we're going to dive into that a little bit today as well. Would you join me in prayer? Uh, dear Jesus, thank you so much for showing up. Thank you for being the God who saves, the God who cares, the God who loves. Thank you for being the one who shows up in history and at the same time has a history before history, a prehistorical God, one who comes to us and gives us his power his truth, his mercy, who pours out on us a brand new life. And so as we enter into this season, the season of Advent, and as we push up toward Christmas Day, God, let us become aware of all the powerful Messiah that you are. The one who not only broke into history and was born as a baby, but the one who not only existed, but ruled and reigned before us. So we ask that you come and speak now in the scriptures. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen. Well, again, good morning. My name's Mike or Pastor Mike. If you're all business like that, it's a joy to add my voice to the words that have already been spoken from John chapter one, verses one through 14. I wanna ask you a question about the Old Testament because as Christ followers, we have a lot of exposure to the New Testament but sometimes we're tempted to believe that the Old Testament is old news, old history, that Jesus somehow came to put a clamp on and close off in order to make way for the New Testament. And if Jesus were standing here in front of us, he would share with you that there's nothing more further from the truth in that. There's a lot of wisdom, a lot of understanding, a lot of history a lot of depth and breadth of understanding of the character of God in the Old Testament. Some of it is scary. Some of it is funny. Some of it is just plain weird. But what we're going to talk about for the next four or five weeks are some connections that we can find through Jesus with Old Testament days, which I think will give us ample proof to show that Jesus was active before he was even born. Weird to say but true. So as we look into the Old Testament and look at the value of those old scriptures, just a reminder, what we're talking about is that part of the Bible that comes before the Gospel of Matthew. It's clearly marked Old Testament in most Bibles, but if you're doing searches for scripture online, if you use a website like Bible Gateway and you look into Old Testament scriptures, you're not going to see the name Jesus. You will not see Jesus's name called out, but what you will see is enough evidence of the predictions, the prophecies of Jesus coming that when he actually does come and there's testimony written about him in the New Testament, you look at that and say, wait a minute, I saw where that was said back in the Old Testament. In particular today, we're talking about the idea of Jesus being the word. Now, when Jesus was born as a baby, we believe and teach and confess that he was born as an actual human baby. 
and that when he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in the manger, he cried. He did all the things that babies do. He fed, he slept, he cooed, he smiled. He did everything a normal human baby would do because he is human. And at the same time, as has been said before, he is also fully God. If you do the math on that, it doesn't make sense. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. Add those together and what do you get? You only get 100%. You get 100% Jesus. It's a mystery. But we understand that Jesus is both human and God because Jesus is the way that we know God reached down to us with his grace and his love and built a connection between us that is eternal and unbreakable. In fact, Martin Luther would even describe what's written about the Messiah in the Old Testament in this way. He said, here in the Old Testament, you will find the swaddling clothes and the manger in which Christ lies. So what I want to challenge you to do is, as we get into the next few weeks, open your mind to the idea that Jesus runs all the way through the Old Testament and that the stories and the people in the Old Testament you're going to find there wrap around the concept of Jesus as Messiah, showing very clearly as the church has professed from the beginning, confessed since the beginning, that God has always known what he was doing. And when he sent us Jesus... It was a part of his plan that he had had in mind all along. Let's look back at the scripture that was read earlier. And I just want to read a few words of it from the beginning. And then our task today is to build three connections between the scripture that was read and some Old Testament concepts that we'll find in those scriptures. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, a skeptic of scripture would look at that phrase and say, look, there's a contradiction. The Bible is full of contradictions. And we would say, no, it's not a contradiction. It is simply a mystery. We may not be able to understand in human terms what it means for someone to be with God and to be God at the same time, but we can investigate and find what the scripture means if we dig a little bit more and give God the benefit of the doubt. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse two says he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of mankind. So we're gonna look at three particular concepts out of this scripture today. And we're going to align them with some Old Testament texts. Let's take a first a look at the first one here. The first connection is this idea of in the beginning. Now, when you think about the words in the beginning with scripture, what do you think of? Most people typically think of Genesis chapter one, where the first three words in Genesis before God creates the heavens and the earth, right? Are in the beginning. So what you can find here is a connection that John the Apostle makes, and that is true. John the Apostle is a different person from John the Baptist. John the Apostle is the one who, um, the beloved of Jesus who wrote this book that we're reading right now. He would have known the scripture that it was in Genesis chapter 1. 
So he is, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, making a connection here. And the connection is not an accident. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so if you put two and two together, and you look at what the first few words of John says, then the idea becomes simply this. Jesus was a part of the creation story. Now, what we're going to prove next is that not only was Jesus a part of the creation story, but he was so integral to the creation story that you cannot ignore him. Look at it this way. If you're going to try to understand in human terms what it means for God to be, uh, for Jesus to be with God and to be God at the same time, it kind of looks like this diagram on the screen. If you're listening by podcast, you see a triangle up there where you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit kind of rotating around God in the center. And between Father and Son, the words is not. And between Son and Holy Spirit is not. And between Father and Holy Spirit is not. What that's simply saying is that there are three persons in the Trinity. This is the concept in ecclesiastical history that our church is named after, Trinity Lutheran Church. The Trinity is simply this, one God in three persons. Now, how does that make sense in human terms? It really doesn't. But we teach it and confess it anyway, because this is what scripture teaches and confesses. When we're trying to teach the Trinity to little children, we describe it often using the concept of H2O. For you scientists in the room, what is H2O? Water. Caleb raises his hands. He knows that the answer to that question. Can you freeze water? Okay, when you freeze water, what does it become? It becomes ice. Is ice water? Well, technically it is, but it's not. It's ice. Otherwise, you would call it hard water. But what's hard water? That's a different thing, isn't it? So that's why we name frozen water ice, isn't it? And so what we're doing is we're teaching the idea of something having the same essence but having three different forms, it's not quite the same in the world of theology when you're talking about God. But the idea is this, God exists as one person in essence. He simply has three personages that are part of that essence, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when the three of them were together in community in the beginning saying things like, let us make man in our image, they were having a discussion around the conference table of the Trinity over Starbucks. They were talking about the idea of creation, what that looks like, what it should look like, and what it should accomplish. And so Jesus is there with God in the beginning, and at the same time, mysteriously, he's the same essence as God. So we say, and we teach and confess, Jesus is God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into things. Here's the second connection. The idea that Jesus created all things. The scripture very plainly says this, through him all things were made. And you can go back and look at Genesis chapter 1 and just a couple of verses later. And the scripture says this, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from darkness so let me ask you a technical question. How did God make stuff? He spoke. And whenever you see Jesus acting in the New Testament, whenever he does a miracle, he speaks. He either teaches or he says to someone or something, 
do this or do that. And if it's in the natural realm, it does it. When he comes across a demon-possessed man, he says to the demons who are inside the man, what? Come out of him. And what do they do? They obey. When he is out in the boat with the disciples and the wind and the waves are scaring them, what does he do to the storm? He commands it to be still and the wind and the waves obey him. Whenever God speaks, something happens. Either something is created or something is changed. And so what we see in Jesus is a corollary here. We see the idea that Jesus being God and man at the same time, being with God in the beginning and being God, we can reasonably say here that Jesus was the one who said, let there be light. That Jesus was the one who as the general contractor of all we know in existence was the one who said, let there be. And then stuff was created. He is the creative arm of God. He is the mind of God that works creation out and then acts, speaks in real time. He is the one who says stuff and then stuff happens. He speaks and things are created. Jesus started with a bunch of mush and from that mush, he created amazing and wonderful things, including you and me. Look at what the scripture says by Paul in Colossians chapter one. The son is the image of the invisible God. That word image, if you look back in its history, is icon. If you pull out your smartphone and you look at a bunch of little symbols on the front of your smartphone, what are those symbols called? There, there, some people call them apps. But what you're looking at is you're looking at a symbol which represents a program. When you punch that symbol, it gets you into the app, doesn't it? That symbol is called an icon. It is a representation of the program or the app that you open up in your phone, right? But in this case, the scripture goes further. Jesus is not the representation of God. Jesus is God. He is simply the image of God. He is a seeable God, a hearable God, a touchable God, one who provides, one who leads, one who comes close and never turns his back and never abandons us. Look at what the scripture says, verse 16, Colossians 1, for in him all things were created. Now church, how many things were created in him? Not some, not the stuff that was created after Christmas. How many things were created? All things. God is a God of alls and nuns. He loves all. He died on the cross for all. He wants to rescue and save all. God is a God of absolutes. All means all. And God works in the allness of that. How many things were created by Jesus? All things. Scripture says things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. Or another way to say that word is by him and what? For him. He is before all things. And in him, look at this, all things hold together. If you've ever asked yourself the question, why is my life spinning out of control? because your life needs Jesus. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. And God being a God, God being a God of absolutes, loves 
all and wants to hold all of us together. If you ever find your life spinning out of control, coming undone, your life needs Jesus, as do all of our lives. This is the way Jesus works. He creates, he restores, he redeems, he renews. He holds the world in his hands. He's the one who speaks and stuff happens. Have you ever thought about that connection between Jesus commanding nature in the stories of the New Testament and God creating nature in the Old Testament? Let your mind be blown for a moment. What if the God at the center of both of those stories was exactly the same? What if his name is Jesus? Have you seen enough evidence so far in the scripture to show that Jesus was there and waving a hand over creation, speaking it into existence? We've got yet one more point to take a look at for that. This is a part of an old creed that the church used to teach in the very beginning, about three or 400 years into his experience as a church. Look at what the Nicene Creed says. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. This means that Jesus wasn't created. He was begotten. And it may sound like semantics, but it's not. It's a, there's a difference there. Jesus wasn't created like the angels or like you and me. He was always there. He was simply begotten of the Father, which means he was born of the Father into this world. The scripture says, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance or essence with the Father, by whom all things were made. So the churches believed this and taught this and defended this idea for generations, for hundreds of years. Here's what that kind of looks like. And this is the last point we'll look at in terms of connections between John 1 and the Old Testament. Here's the third one. In Genesis chapter 3, the scripture goes on and says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. You know, from the beginning of humanity, we've heard the story of Adam and Eve. And if you can recall that Sunday school story, what happened to Adam and Eve? They were created by God and they were cut loose in the Garden of Eden. And what happened to them? They happened upon a tree that had a piece of fruit in it that God had said to them what? Don't eat from any fruit in that tree. You can eat all the fruit from all the other trees in the garden. You can eat anything you want, even eat the fruit that fell to the ground if you want to. Just don't eat the fruit that comes from that particular tree. And what is it human nature does? What do we do? When somebody says, don't do this, what do we do? We go right after that and do it, don't we? It's like if somebody had a white screen up here with a black dot on it, and we said, whatever you do, don't look at the black dot. What are you going to do? You're going to look right at the black dot, aren't you? That's the way we operate. That's the way human nature is. God knows that and loves us in spite of that, loves us through that, and loves us even when we look at the black dot in life. 
In the same way, Adam and Eve, when they were confronted with the idea of sinning against God and biting that fruit, whatever it was, and becoming aware of the fact that they were naked and then beginning to hide from God, the Bible says that they heard God walking in the forest. Who was that? It was Jesus walking in the forest. They heard him. How do we know? Because God is flesh in Jesus. God is human in Jesus. God comes to us in a way that we can understand and accept and receive, believe and follow in Jesus. The Bible says in Genesis 3, the first part of that verse, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us knowing the difference between good and evil. God said, if you bite that fruit, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to know stuff that only God knows. I would love to keep you innocent. But just like they, we tend to go for the thing that God has said, don't do, don't be, don't say. And they did it. And God loved them as they did it. And at the same time, God knew that they would know the difference between good and evil, that they would become ashamed and that they would separate themselves from him out of fear. They would see Jesus walking in the forest, coming for them, seeking out for them, reaching out to them, knowing what they had already done. Jesus still pursued them. But then he set a boundary between them. He said, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. This is God talking to, uh, talking about Adam. And in verse 23, so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. You see, God works like this. God is holy and perfect and he cannot abide in the presence of sin. What is sin? Sin is anything that comes against the nature and the character and the word of God. That's the bad news. But the good news is this, that Christ breaks through the power of sin. He overcomes it. And think of it this way. If sin were darkness and separation from God, Light is the only thing that can disrupt darkness. Jesus is the light that disrupts the darkness of sin. And the Bible says in John, sin cannot, has not, will not overcome it. Jesus is the light to come into the world. Take a look at this. See how this works out. He comes on the cross and in doing so, a light is shined into the darkness of sin that goes way back to the, to the, the prophet Isaiah in chapter nine saying, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. From all the way back to the beginning, God knew that his holiness would have boundaries around it and that we would attempt to break those boundaries by becoming like God and that that would be called sin and that that would pour spiritual darkness out over all of humanity. 
And he also knew at the same time that his son, Jesus, who is also equally God, would overtake and overcome that darkness. He knew that his son would overcome that sin. And he knew that you and I would be able to understand that concept in the concept of darkness and light. Now, I want you to try this when you get home today. Go into the darkest closet you can find. Close the door behind you and then turn off the light and make note of what you see. It will be nothing because you will see absolute darkness. You will not be able to see anything in the dark. But then if you take your cell phone out and go to Facebook, Facebook is one of the brightest apps on your cell phone. It will light up the entire closet that you're in. One thing is, is very clear that you will find in nature. Light disrupts darkness. It cannot be the other way around. If you have a bright light, you cannot have darkness come against it. In the same way, sin is overtaken by Jesus and will never be overcome. Uh, Jesus will never be overcome by sin. Sin is darkness. And Jesus comes into that darkness with light. Now, let me ask you the question, the key question for today. Who turned on the light? Who was it that made the light of Jesus come on? He did himself because he's God. He saw you in the future and loved you and died for you and rose again for you. Not just the person sitting next to you, you. He saw you and loved you and came here and died for you and conquered death for you and the sin that comes with it. I don't know about you, but this Christmas, I love to believe in a God who always knew what he was doing, who never had to do damage control for me. He always knew that I was going to need him, a savior. And he loved me so much that he made himself accessible to me, not just on Sunday for an hour, but how often? On demand, every single day. As we dive into this series a little bit more, in the coming weeks, we're going to find more and more evidence of the workings of Jesus in the Old Testament. But what I want you to come away with from today's installment is this idea. Jesus is God. Jesus was there in the beginning. He made everything we know, including us. And he has full command over everything that has anything to do with our lives. And if we study his character enough, we know that he is the light that shines into any form of darkness we will ever experience in this life or the next. He is the very God of very God, God of God, light of light, King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the one who rules. He is the one who reigns and loves and saves. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much. 
You are an amazing God. You are the one who comes near. You're the one who creates and recreates. We follow you, God, because of who you are, not because of how strong we are or how perfect or how sinless we think we are. We follow you because we know we're not. We know that we are not God and you are, and you're one whom we can follow. We thank you for being the good news of our lives, for being the light who shines in the darkness. And we thank you for knowing what you're doing in our hearts and in the hearts of millions around us and throughout history. We come now and worship you, God, as we anticipate your birth at Christmas. We recognize and realize you've always, always been there. In your name we pray and together we say, amen.